Well, good morning to you all and a happy new year. I trust that everyone has had a nice break and is looking forward to a new and exciting new year. Though there may be a lot of unpleasant things to deal with along the way, if we are in Christ, we can nonetheless be excited about what God may have in store for each of us in the coming year. We once again resume our studies on the book of Genesis this week, and I will be looking at Genesis chapter 47, verses 1 to 31 as our main text for this morning. It's kind of hard to believe that we may actually be able to finish the book of Genesis this year. We have been on this marvelous book for some four years. We started with Genesis 1-1 on February the 22nd, 2015. And Lord willing, may just possibly finish it on February 2019 this year. So if you still have your Bibles handy, would you please turn with me to Genesis chapter 47, verses 1 to 31. And once again, Luke, thank you very much for reading the entire passage for us. It's a little easier to read uh, than the last week's passage, I'm sure. But as always, before we begin... Let's all turn to the Lord in first. Father in heaven, we thank thee so much for this marvelous book, the book of beginnings. And as we open chapter 47 this morning, we are first of all assured that it is the error-free word of God and that it contains precious truths that each one of us should be able to apply to our lives. For we are told in the New Testament that all of these things have been written as examples to us so that we may learn from them. Pray that the Spirit of God might be pleased to grant us all understanding of the text before us and what the Lord's will is for each of us concerning this text. For we ask it all in his name, and for his glory. Amen. In our previous message of Genesis 46, 1 to 34, we dealt with Jacob's journey into Egypt with his entire household of children, grandchildren, servants, livestock, and all of their material possessions. It was quite a large caravan, and for obvious reasons, involved a lot of care and planning to make the journey safely into Egypt. But as the caravan began its trek southward, Jacob stopped at Beersheba, as we saw, to offer up sacrifices unto the Lord and to inquire of him. There God answered his prayers in the night and assured him that he, God, would be with him and that he was to go down to Egypt because God was going to keep his promise and make out of Jacob a great nation. Also in that chapter, verses 8 to 25, we were given a genealogy of Jacob's lineage that entered Egypt and are told that there were a total of 70 souls. And from this little body of Israelites would be made a great nation one day, that would be ruled by a king who was after God's own heart, and that was King David. But that is not where it would all stop. 
Israel, though now in a state of fallenness or in a fallen state, will one day upon the return of the Messiah be restored to her promised greatness and will inherit the entire parcel of promised land. The latter part of Genesis 46, verses 29 to 34, dealt with the arrival of Jacob's family in Egypt and the wonderful, heartwarming reunion between Jacob and Joseph. And then the chapter ends with Joseph preparing Jacob and his brethren to meet Pharaoh and how they should respond to him. Now we come to the main text, Genesis 47, 1 to 31. And what I would like to do with this chapter is to divide it into three basic portions or themes and discuss them briefly and how they may each apply to us in our everyday lives, and also how Christ is revealed through each of them. First, we come to the brothers' reception by the Pharaoh of Egypt in verses 1 to 12. Here the chapter begins with Joseph standing before Pharaoh with five of his brethren as he presents them face to face to their new governor. The entire chapter is ripe with the picture or types of Christ as depicted by Joseph. Notice, please, that before Joseph officially settles his family in Goshen, he respectfully presents them before Pharaoh so that Pharaoh, who is greater than Joseph in rank, would have the honor of approving them and assigning them an allotment of land, the land of Goshen. This, of course, reminds us of the Lord's answer to Zebedee's mother in Matthew 20, 21, who asked Jesus, Grant that these, my two sons, may sit, the one on thy right hand and the other on the left, in thy kingdom. And his final answer to them all was, To sit on my right hand and on my left is not mine to give but it shall be given to them for whom it is prepared of my father. Verse 23 of that passage. Also, when Joseph introduces his five brothers to Pharaoh, he is not ashamed of them, but rather bestows a special honor upon them by bringing them into the gates of Pharaoh's hall. They who were totally unworthy and who had heaped such disdain upon their brother at one time, are now brought into favor before the Pharaoh because of Joseph's merit and standing before the Pharaoh. The same picture of Christ emerges here as well when we read Hebrews 2.11, speaking of Christ. For both he that sanctifieth and they who are sanctified are all of one. For which cause he is not ashamed to call them brethren. We too someday will be brought into the very presence of God himself, not because of our own merit, for we too are unworthy of the least of God's mercies, but because of Christ's merit and because of his work on Calvary's cross, we too will inherit all that is Christ's someday. Notice also that the brethren's reply to Pharaoh's question, 
what is your occupation, is carefully chosen and well considered in verses 3 to 4. And they said unto Pharaoh, Thy servants are shepherds, both we and also our fathers. They said moreover unto Pharaoh, For to sojourn in the land are we come, for thy servants have no pasture for their flocks, for the famine is sore in the land of Canaan. Now therefore we pray thee, let thy servants dwell in the land of Goshen. The brothers tell Pharaoh that they had come to sojourn there and not to dwell there. The word sojourn has the idea of temporary lodgings, just passing through, so to speak. That is the term used of God with Isaac in Genesis 26.3. Sojourn in this land, and I will be with thee and will bless thee. And also with Abraham, when we read in Genesis 12.10, And there was a famine in the land, and Abram went down into Egypt to sojourn there, for the famine was grievous in the land. We too, if we are Christians, are to see ourselves as sojourners here on this earth, just visitors. This is not our permanent home. We are just passing through. We are to be like Abraham when he was called to go out into a place which he should after receive for an inheritance, obeyed. And he went out not knowing whither he went. By faith, he sojourned in the land of promise, as in a strange country dwelling in tabernacles with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. For he looked for a city which hath foundations, whose builder and maker is God. Hebrews 11, 8-10. In addition, the brothers explained that they were shepherds and that that had been their occupation for generations. It was important for Pharaoh to discover whether they were industrious and worthy of their labor. Remember that these were no ordinary times. Egypt was suffering greatly from this severe famine, which still had several years to run. It would be both foolish and irresponsible for the Pharaoh to allow vagabonds into Egypt at such a time, and caring for them at the taxpayer's expense, so to speak. But they had a trade, and they would in return be a prophet to Egypt as much as Egypt would be a prophet to them now. And so Pharaoh, satisfied that they would work and contribute to their keep, shows them favor because of his gratitude to Joseph and all that Joseph had done for Egypt. Pharaoh, therefore, grants the land of Goshen to them. But not only that, he grants them another special privilege as well, which we see in verse 6. He bestows upon the brethren, brethren rulership over even his own cattle, if any of them are up to the task. They, because of Joseph, now also have been given the privilege of reigning in some fashion or other. This again reminds us of Titus chapter 2, verse 12. If we suffer, we shall also reign with him. If we deny him, he will also deny us. 
and then in Revelation 5.10, and hast made us unto our God kings and priests, and we shall reign on the earth. Then Joseph brings his father Jacob in to meet the Pharaoh in verse 7. And Joseph brought in Jacob his father and set him before Pharaoh, and Jacob blessed Pharaoh. Notice, please, that Joseph only brings in Jacob after his brethren have been introduced and dealt with, so that now Pharaoh might be able to focus his full attention on Jacob his father. Thus, Joseph honors his father by bringing in the greater after the lesser. And the very first thing that Jacob does when he is brought in, even before Pharaoh speaks, is to bless Pharaoh. He blessed them for his kindness to them in bringing them to Egypt so that their lives might be spared. But more in particular, he blessed him because of his kindness and generosity to his beloved son, Joseph. This, by extension, was, of course, a blessing bestowed upon Pharaoh by Jehovah God himself, who declared back in Genesis 12:3 to Abraham, I will bless them that bless thee, and curse him that curseth thee, and in thee shall all families of the earth be blessed. And the first thing that Pharaoh inquires of Jacob was, How old art thou? Verse 8. For this was a point of interest to Pharaoh. The Egyptians did not experience, it seems, longevity to this extent. And so Jacob's age became of interest to him. Jacob answers the Pharaoh, verse 9, The days of the years of my pilgrimage are a hundred and thirty years. Few and evil have the days of the years of my life been, and have not attained unto the days of the years of the life of my fathers in the days of their pilgrimage. Notice, please, that Jacob, though 130 years of age, here calls them few and evil. Few because life is but a vapor even at 130 years of age. The soul, which is eternal, never grows old and therefore was made for a vessel that too would never grow old. But because of the fall, the mortal bodies are unable to endure their intended longevity. That is why even older people, when nearing the end of days, exclaim how quickly life has passed. And they are also evil because of sin. Sin, of course, is the root cause of all of our misery on this earth. Because of sin, there are murders, adulteries, robberies, hatred, covetousness, and so on. And, of course, Jacob's life was filled with many of these, as we can recall. And thirdly, he tells Pharaoh that he, like his father before him, is on a pilgrimage. This earth is not his permanent home. He, too, is just passing through. We are not told of anything else that was discussed between the two, except that Jacob blessed Pharaoh once again in verse 10, and then went out from Pharaoh. Joseph, in the next two verses, is seen placing his father Jacob 
and all of his brethren with their households in the land of Goshen, where he nourished them and all their families. Now we come to the second portion or division in the chapter, verses 13 to 26, which deals with the deteriorating economy and the enslavement of the Egyptian people. This particular portion of scripture clearly explains the insidious evils of debt, something which our present society seems to embrace, failing to realize its destructive consequences on families and their way of life. We read in verse 13 that there was no bread in all the land, for the famine was very sore, so that the land of Egypt and all the land of Canaan fainted by the reason of the famine. We, by the grace of God, have never known such famines in this country, though there have been some very severe droughts in the West during the 1930s, etc. They have never been as severe as what we see here in Egypt. And yet the one who controls nature itself had sent out a warning to the Egyptians via Joseph and Pharaoh. While Joseph prepared and stored and watched during the years of plenty, it seems that the Egyptians themselves, the common folk, did very little themselves in preparation for the seven years. For it is almost certain that Joseph would not have kept this a secret from the people. In most likelihood, their disbelief may have led them to carelessly ignore the warnings. Just as many today carelessly take on debt because of greed, ignoring at their own peril the consequences of bankruptcies and shattered lives. And though we do not have sufficient time to thoroughly treat this topic here this morning, I would like to nonetheless point out a few major points. Financial enslavement always comes in many steps, each step increasing with intensity. It is almost similar to the proverbial frog in the boiling pan of water. First, the Egyptians spent all their money in the buying of bread or corn. You see, Joseph had many storage bins of corn which had been gathered during the years of plenty and stored. But in the land itself, all the available bread was used up, and so the people came to Joseph to buy bread. After their money was gone, they had to give up their cattle in exchange for bread. Now, when we talk about cattle here, it included other kinds of animals rather than just cows and sheeps or sheep. It included such things as horses and asses. But when that was spent, they parted with their land and their physical bodies to do labor on lands that once belonged to them. They at this stage enslaved themselves to avoid starvation and death. But always, in such cases, there are winners and there are losers. Notice verse 23 to 24. Then Joseph said unto the people, Behold, 
I have bought you this day and your land for Pharaoh. Lo, here is seed for you, and you shall sow the land. Does that sound familiar? That someone has also bought us. And it shall come to pass in the increase that ye shall give the fifth part unto Pharaoh, and four parts shall be your own, for seed of the field, and for your food, and for them of your households, and for food for your little ones. Now notice their response in verse 25. And they said, Thou hast saved our lives. Let us find grace in the sight of my Lord, and we will be Pharaoh's servants. You see how God keeps his promises. Back in Genesis 45, 5, Joseph told his brothers that God sent him to Egypt to preserve life. And in verse 7 of that same chapter, Joseph also tells them that God sent me before you to preserve you, a posterity in the earth, and to save your lives by a great deliverance. And finally, in verse 8, also of that same chapter, chapter 45, So now it was not you that sent me hither, but God. And he hath made me a father to Pharaoh, and lord of all his house, and a ruler throughout all the land of Egypt. God is sovereign. God sees and knows all things. And anything and everything which he says will happen, will happen. And sometimes, by his grace, he allows his people in on what he plans to do so that they might take advantage of his kindness towards them. But if his people, because of the hardness of their hearts, choose to do otherwise, then he will allow them to suffer the consequences of their poor choice. And the greatest act of kindness and love by the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob was demonstrated on the cross of Calvary by Jesus Christ when he shed his precious, pure, and undefiled blood for the sins of the entire world so that whosoever believeth on him should not perish but have everlasting life. But alas, such is the state of fallen man that often he would rather do things his own way and find his own path to redemption instead. Then we come to the third and final portion or division in this chapter, verses 27 to 31, which deals with Jacob's final days in Egypt. Again, we see God's promise fully carried out in these final four verses, which he made to Jacob in Genesis 46 to the four. And what better way to conclude this chapter than by reading verses 27 to 31 themselves. And Israel dwelt in the land of Egypt, in the country of Goshen, and they had possessions therein, and grew and multiplied exceedingly. And Jacob lived in the land of Egypt seventeen years, so the whole age of Jacob was a hundred forty and seven years. And the time drew nigh that Israel must die. 
And he called his own son, and called his son Joseph and said unto him, If now I have found grace in thy sight, put, I pray thee, thy hand under my thigh and deal kindly and truly with me. Bury me not, I pray thee, in Egypt, but I will lie with my fathers, and thou shalt carry me out of Egypt and bury me in their burying place. And he said, that is Joseph, I will do as thou hast said. And he said, swear unto me. And he swore unto him. And Israel bowed himself upon the bed's head. And so ended the sermon. But what a wonderful story of the faith and patience of the saints. And how the promise of God never fails regardless of the seemingly impossible circumstances that one has to overcome. And yet Jacob's words ring true even today. Few and evil have the days of the years of my life been. We who have gray hairs or no hairs at all can all attest to the brevity of life that even 70 or 80 years is but a drop in the bucket when compared to eternity. And though it may be a very short span of years, we have all experienced evil days, days of affliction, turmoil, grief, sadness, regret, as well as joy and moments of success and peace. But there is no greater joy than to know Christ Jesus as our Savior and Lord, and that all our sins have been forgiven and that the penalty has been paid for in full by the Lamb of God who went to the cross of Calvary. For when this short life, with all of its challenges and hardships, is ended, there is a new beginning in a new heaven in the presence of our blessed Savior, whom we shall see face to face for all eternity. And I trust that everyone here has that blessed hope too, but if perchance you are not sure where you will be when your life is ended, won't you turn from your sins even today and receive Christ as your Savior and Lord? He is still in the business of saving souls. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. Acts 16.31. Let's pray. Father, we thank thee so much for this beautiful story of Joseph and Pharaoh and Jacob's redemption. And Father, we thank thee that God is faithful, that he keeps all of his promises, even when clouds of discouragement may be upon us, when circumstances seem to overwhelm us when there seems to be no hope of a better day, God is able to break through if our faith is in him instead of in circumstances. And so, Father, we pray that as we go from this place, we may remember this story and apply it to our lives that like Joseph, we too will see that day 
when all will be revealed and Christ will receive all the glory and we will be allowed to share in that blessedness with him. Part us now with thy blessings, we pray, and if the Lord be not come, may it please thee once again to bring us back together around his table next Lord's Day. For we ask it all in his name and for his glory. Amen. Father of Israel,